Um, so uh, I, I said to, uh, to Louise that I don't think I need to introduce her because she's been introduced twice already, I, I, I think. But um, I've asked Louise if she can, um, on the theme of pushing boundaries, start to talk about the Consalia Cells Business School. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Louise. Yeah, thank you. So if we could give her a round of applause, please. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's good. I was really worried, actually, about the music that John <laughs> might choose. No, it's fine. It's fine. I was... <laughs> um, so I really wasn't sure when I looked at the running order and I saw I was last, I was like, oh, bums, you know, it's going to be the last slot and, and you know, what's going to happen? But actually, what I wanted to say today, most people have already said. So I think there's now real advantages about being at the end because um, it has been covered. So I'm just going to try and bring in the best bits that you've already talked about and just add a little bit more. But as Phil said, I'm going to talk to you uh, really about the Consali Sales Business School um, and pushing boundaries and also about our students. And those of you that know me know our students are the most important thing, that for me it's about the student experience and helping everybody achieve their potential. So I'm going to talk about that and the business school. Um, so, yeah, let me get the clicker. Um, and I can look up there, can't I? Okay, so when I started to think about this, um, I thought about the kind of boundaries that we all uh, encounter. Um, you know, I realized there were three types, really. There's external boundaries that are set outside um, our organizations, boundaries that we can absolutely do nothing about. And then there are workplace boundaries, and then we have personal boundaries. And um, the other thing that I wanted to bring into this presentation is what's been covered quite a bit, which is um, the VUCA world and this uncertain world. And if we think about Phil's timeline, that really just exemplified that, that things are changing all of the time. So we have to think about boundaries and we have to think about this um, sort of era of constant change. And the one thing we know is that change is certain. And so VUCA is actually, um, we've got the definition up here, volatile, uh, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. And it's a term that came out of the US military in the 1990s um, after the, the Cold War. And then business organizations started to adopt it about 10, 15 years ago in response to everything that we've just talked about. So they're the sort of two themes that I'm going to be carrying forward into this presentation. We then move into um, Consalia's world and the um, boundaries that we experience. And um, the first two, Daryl covered a little bit this morning. We talked about we have academic regulations and we have a very set syllabus. There is a very rigid process to developing a degree apprenticeship or a master's program. And it goes through rigorous kind of validation through different academics. And so we have to make sure as we're running our programs that we're adhering to the um, academic regulations, again, using UK um, university rules to make sure everything's consistent across different universities, and the fact that we are ensuring that we deliver to the agreed outcomes that we agreed when each program was developed. And so they're boundaries that really we have not much influence over, um, but we know they're there for a purpose, they're there for quality. We know that they're there to deliver something to everybody. So we're very happy to work within those boundaries. Other boundaries that we have um, recently come across, um, and again, Daryl talked about these first thing this morning, 
Um, as we've been developing the degree apprenticeships and the senior leader apprenticeship, we have now rules and regulations set by the government, um, and they are very difficult to work with. That's something Daryl said, and I couldn't agree more. But they're there again for a purpose. The ESFA are the guardians of apprenticeships, really. They manage the funding, and they're there to ensure that there's quality within everything that we deliver. With the apprenticeship standards, um, a couple of people have talked about the trailblazer process that we, um, we sort of started almost two years ago, no, three years ago this month. Um, and, it, and it was fantastic. It was. We got employers together. We got the um, universities together. And we really did, I think, push a boundary there and make sure that we were bringing in um, an opportunity to professionalise sales, which is something very close to Consalia's heart, very close to the APS. So we were working with the APS to do that. And I do really feel that we have pushed a massive boundary. We have the first degree in B2B sales. There isn't any other organization other than Middlesex, Consalia, Middlesex and Leeds Trinity that deliver a degree in B2B sales. Um, and we have now the first um, senior leader apprenticeship for sales leaders. Um, I would say prior to that, Geraldine and Phil, how many years ago, putting the master's program together, it was all about professionalizing sales. So Consalia have always been there doing that, um, which is fantastic. But again, they're external boundaries. We then start to think about, or I started to think about, kind of workplace boundaries, our own boundaries that Consalia put on ourselves. And we have the Consalia way of delivery. Um, we're very proud of that. We like to be experiential, we like to be personal, and we like to be supportive. And so each program that we deliver, that in a way is our own boundary. That's what we're gonna make sure we do every time. And then we have our content. Um, and we are developing more content, but obviously that is a constraint. We can only deliver what we have, but each year we're putting new modules together. But more importantly, we're making sure that we're up to date and current and relevant and challenging. And so that's something that we need to look at each year and refresh and push our own boundary each time. So they're the Consalia boundaries. Um, I then wanted to think about our students. So for our students, we have, um, and actually I'm saying our students, but I think this applies to all of us as individuals. These are boundaries that we have if we're in a, a work environment. So we have the boundaries that are there by our um, employers. So we all have a job description. Very important, that's what we do or what we're meant to do. And it's there as a communication in a way so that people are aware what your remit is and what they should be doing that doesn't go into that role. Um, organizational structures. David, you talked about organizational structures and we, um, you talked about the two kinds, the sort of the way that new startups begin with this more network-like agile structure. And then as, as organizations grow, they move into a more hierarchical structure and that, in a way, creates its own boundaries. And um, one of the um, thought leaders that we bring into our master's program is, is Cotter. And he talks about the need for a dual operating system, which clearly SKF now have, because you have your round circle with the fact that you are now applying this kind of agile, um, agile communication, making sure that everybody is talking to everybody to break down those hierarchical boundaries. So organizational structure can in itself be a boundary, or you can put that dual operating system in place and, and break that down. And I think we have a poll now, a question now on structures. So if you can all get your little badges out. 
Uh, yeah. So, do you feel your organisation structure limits your ability to push boundaries? Do you have that lovely agile structure in place? Do you have the more hierarchical structure? Where are we? Oh, okay. That's pretty good, isn't it? Good mix. Very good. And really encouraging, I think, to see that 47%, oh no, 53% are, are, not, are in that sort of network structure. So I think that's fantastic. Okay. So the next one that I have within the uh, work boundaries is organizational culture. And quite a few of you have talked about culture today. Um, Simon, through his emotional intelligence um, master's project, and Samantha, as she was talking about the inclusive culture. Um, but what I wanted to talk about here, which very much kind of ties in with what Samantha was saying, is um, there's a lot, of, a lot being talked about how your culture can really... Uh, push boundaries if you have that right culture in place. And Google have actually, um, they did a study in 2015 and they called the, um, the, the study Project Aristotle. And that was in tribute to uh, his quote, which says that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And what they were looking for in their study um, was for what makes high performing teams. And again, that's been a theme through today, high performing teams. And they identified five traits. Um, and the one that they said was by far and above the most important, they called psychological safety. I would say Samantha called that inclusivity. But that is about ensuring that you have um, diversity in your organization, that you are letting everybody have a voice, um, that all of those people who might be quieter but might have those fantastic outlying ideas have an opportunity to speak and to share it, and that you take turns to go around to ensure that everybody has that voice. And that was one of the things that they said was the most important to have a high-performing team and to have a team, I would say, that can then help you push boundaries. Um, and then we have, uh, yeah, governance, rules, systems and processes. And again, we had the question about earlier about do your systems actually prevent you pushing boundaries? And that is just something that's there. But I think for me, by far the most important two in those are the organisational structure and the organisational culture making sure you have those opportunities for people to, to grow and to push. We then have personal boundaries. Um, so everybody has their own belief system. Everybody has their values. They're all going to come, and it's their unique boundary. It's their unique um, USP for each person. And it is really important that you take the time, again, through the way you work and through your culture, uh, organizational culture, to get to know everybody. Um, Last week, I met someone from um, GSK. GSK. She was actually the head of uh, their performance management globally. And she was telling me how they've really taken the idea of the individual and what the individual can contribute to a team um, into, and, and really they are pushing boundaries into a whole new way of performance management. And so what they've done is they've taken away appraisals, absolutely wiped them out. And instead, they've introduced monthly conversations between the managers and their teams. And the only person who gets appraised is the manager. Each, each year, they're now having uh, feedback on the managers. And one of the questions in that management survey is, are you having your one-to-one -one meetings with your manager? And she really believes that this is um, the way to sort of enhance performance in their organization. 
And uh, the way she described it is better conversations drive better performance. Better conversations drive high performance. And um, they're one year in. They've just had that first survey, seeing if the managers are actually holding those conversations. And she thinks it might take another year or two before they start to get the metrics through. Um, but I mean, how fantastic is that? How fantastic is that to really think it's about the individuals and what they can contribute and getting to know your team. And they've actually kind of branded the project, um, do you really know me? So to make sure that you know the capabilities of your team members. And through that, you know, they have coaching. So those one-to-one -one meetings can be coaching meetings. Those one-to-one -one meetings can draw out those self-limiting beliefs and help, um, help people overcome those. This is my cue just to share with you um, the fact that we have now started at Consalia, a Consalia coaching club. You've heard David talk, you've heard Simon talk. Everybody talks about the power of our master's program, the coaching module. It is transformational. It really makes the difference. Um, when you coach people, they start to realize what they can do. They don't need to be told. They can work it out for themselves. And what's really important is the managers work out that they can work it out for themselves. And that's why it's such a transformational module. Coaching is a brilliant way to help people address those self-limiting beliefs and drive high performance. Now, I put habits in there as well. Um, and I was showing my slides to my husband and he said, what do you mean by habits? Do you mean bad habits? And I said, no, actually, all habits, good habits as well, because we've talked about our VUCA world, the fast-changing world. And you might have a good habit today that isn't going to be the right way of doing things tomorrow. And um, I'd just like you to think about that for a moment as a question. Do you think that there are some good habits that you've had that have got you to where you are today that might not be the best habits for where you want to be tomorrow? Just have a moment to think about that. Okay, so I thought about this as I put these slides together and I realized that, um, you know, I have a habit. I have a habit of saying yes. I say yes to things. And perhaps that has got me to where I am today. And that's brilliant because, you know, I love what I'm doing. But actually, I want to do more now. I want to be more strategic. I want to read. Um, you know, I want to have some weekends off, you know. So there are things that really I should be changing. And so I need to think about what am I doing that's stopping me doing what I want to do next year or next week even. So it's very important to recognize that some of your habits of yesterday or today might not be the right habits for what you want to do in your role or for yourself um, tomorrow. And there is another, uh, another quote. I guess I'm just into the philosophers today. So this is Einstein who said, you know, insanity, the definition of, ins of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping for different results. So I'll just leave that with you and think about it. If you want something to change tomorrow, you may need to do something differently. Okay. So what do we do in our programs? What do we do in our programs to help our students push their boundaries and ensure that they're reaching their potential? So we, we deliver theory. We deliver challenging theory. We deliver knowledge. And you've heard and understood through, the, um, through Simon's project, we ask our students to then go away and take away what they've learned into the workplace, apply it, reflect on it, 
and see what happens. Do they think it's making a difference? Is it a good new way to do something? Or perhaps actually they were better off, you know, continuing as they were. So we have this whole cycle of action research. So there are some key words here. So we've passed on the theory, we've passed on the knowledge. We're asking them to observe what's happening in their workplace, to reflect on the changes that are taking place. What should they act? What should they change? And think about a new direction to take their team or themselves forward. When they've done that, they're going to reflect again. They're going to grow. They're going to grow in their knowledge. They're going to grow in what they're doing. Um, and it's a whole cycle. And the real magic happens in this middle part. The real cycle happens in that intersection of the knowledge and the theory with the practice. So, you know, we've had some amazing results. Um, I always say that. I'm very proud of everything that, and the projects that come through from our students. And I just want to sort of share with you some of the, um, the feedback that we've had and, uh, and what we're doing. So one of the students from our master's program said, what I love about the master's is that it makes me challenge the thinking behind my thinking. And that's a really powerful phrase, but that's what we do. Christine and Paula are up there somewhere as... Um, our Middlesex, can you just put your hands up, Christine Paula, our Middlesex tutors. You heard Christine's question to Simon earlier. You can tell that she challenges people. Who was the, what did you read the most that really made the difference? We give them lots of things to read when they get to the Middlesex modules. And there is a lot of challenge throughout. We call our master's modules um, thinking innovatively about sales leadership, cracking the code. We have our coaching for sales module leading through collaborative change, all those words you've heard about through di from different people today. And that's what our master's program is about. And it helps them to challenge the thinking behind their thinking. My next quote is actually um, very recent. Um, one of our apprenticeship cohorts just finished their first year a couple of weeks ago. And so I just reached out to them and said, you know, would you mind sharing what you've got from this first year? And this one was just so wonderful, I needed to share it with you. Um, but no words can describe how proud I am. I've developed countless new skills and knowledge, but the one thing I've gained in abundance is confidence. And that's just fantastic. Year one has been exciting, stressful, amazing, mind-boggling. And to me, mind-boggling, I just visualize it as the growth mindset in action. And I just wanted to share this with you because I'm just so thrilled with it. Um, but that is, yeah, so that's great. So we are helping people to push boundaries through that intersection of the knowledge and the theory and then putting it into practice and the reflection that they do through all of that. So then when I was putting all these slides together, I thought, what is it I want people to do? What do I want them to take away from this presentation? And uh, when I was putting some of these um, slides together, I was obviously reading some of the studies. And, um, and I'm a whole slide early, sorry. So what pushes boundaries? I'll have to come back to that in a minute. What pushes boundaries? If I'm just summing up, the enablers for pushing boundaries are exactly what we've just discussed. So knowledge and thought leadership, the application and the action research, and the reflection and insights. And then we have the inclusive um, environment, the psychological safety environment, where everybody feels their voice is important, 
We're encouraging the sharing of outlying ideas. And that's, again, where the master's helps. We really want people to try different things in their projects. So those outlying ideas can come through the master's research and the apprenticeships projects. If you're a sales leader, it's really important to acknowledge you may not have the answer and to reach out to your team and to be inclusive with your team. And Ian put authenticity up there previously. Um, trust has come through as a big theme again today. So allowing authenticity is very important. Allowing people to be themselves, to really share and challenge um, about what they're thinking. So now, I think, oh, collaboration. So now is here what I wanted you to take away. When I thought about what is it I want people to take away, I think as I read these studies, um, I really started to think about the need for reflection and how important that is to really allow people to think about uh, the new ideas, to think about how their teams are working. It came to me that space was something that is so important. And, you know, the Google study talked about that people need space um, to really do their reflection. And they actually create special environments. And, and lots of people do at Sony. We had an environment where you could go off and sit in a lovely little comfy round chair and do some thinking, and it was all beautiful colours. And Google obviously do that, and they have those great big lounges downstairs. So it's not just physical space, though. It's about that mental space, space to think, but to be in that right environment. Um, one of the studies that I read, actually, was... Um, a Microsoft study into um, how you can, uh, it was really about what do the Gen Z, um, Generation Z want in terms of their learning environments. And they said they actually want space um, to be challenged and space to become entrepreneurs. And that was the wording that they used in this Microsoft study. That, you know, these young people, they want um, high tech and high touch in terms of their learning environment, but they also wanted space. Space, as I say, to be challenged and to be entrepreneurs. And this kind of word kept popping up as I was doing the reading and thinking about everything that was coming through. And so that's really what I decided I wanted to take you to take away. Um, one of the other trends that's come through is about how important it is to personalize learning. And we personalize learning through our programs, through the negotiated elements of the projects. So when we take, let people go back into their work environment after our uh, workshops, when they do their project, they contextualize it to their job and to their role. And, you know, personalization is, again, another sort of theme that's coming through in the trends in learning and learning environments. And so, you know, this to me was really about how can I out of today, maybe get you to personalize what you've got from this, this presentation. So I really want you to think about space and what space means to you and whether you're providing enough space for yourself to push boundaries or whether you're providing enough space for your teams to push their boundaries. You know, people need space to grow. You think about pushing boundaries, you need space. You think about that kind of limiting beliefs. It's almost like working within your comfort zone. You need space to stretch out of your comfort zone. So that's really what I wanted you to take away from this, to think about, are you getting enough space for yourselves and giving enough space to your teams if you're a sales leader? I did put an acronym up here, but actually, I don't really want you to see mine. I want you to go away and think about your own. So I am going to put it up, but my request to you is please go away and think about that. Think about how much space you're providing to yourself and to people. 
And if something fantastic comes out of that, just let me know. But I want you to kind of personalize what you've got from this presentation. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll maybe have questions over a drink later on. Is that okay? Please. Yeah. Okay. So I just want to finish off in the next two or three minutes because I know that um, uh, we said we'd finish at around four o'clock. Um, uh, I'd just like to talk about um, next year's event. We don't normally talk about next year like this year, um, but we actually have a theme for next year and I want to share it with you um, because it's going to be something that I think if we can crack this in the sales world, it, it will be phenomenal. Uh, it's never been done before, and I think uh, it'd be great for the profession if we can get it done. Um, <clears throat> and the, the idea is um, it's about relationship capital. And the reason why I've come up with this thought is there's a number of people that I know who um, are in the business of selling companies have said one of the most difficult things to be able to capitalize is actually the value of the key account relationships that, that currently exist. Um, you know, you buy a company, you know, you're, you're sort of promised uh, an annuity stream of revenue that comes from that company and, you know, quite often it just doesn't materialize. And I've also been talking to a lot of sales directors. You've taken on big roles and you take on sales teams, you don't really know what the quality is of the account relationships that currently exist. It takes time to get that. Um, I've also been talking to companies who are in the business of valuing brands. And one of the things that they do when they value brands is they look at the relationships between a brand and its customers. And they build that into a brand valuation context, which, which has a value and can be capitalized actually on the balance sheet. So um, so with these kind of thoughts in mind, it would be amazing if in the sales industry it would be possible to actually capitalise the quality of the relationships, perhaps even to the extent of it appearing in, in the balance sheet as, good, as, as goodwill in, in, the, in the accounts. Because I don't see why it can't be done. And so I've been talking to a number of people um, who I think could maybe get us there. Because if we could actually get there, just imagine the kind of conversations that CEOs will be having with their sales teams about the relationships that exist between their own organization and their key customers. Just imagine if it's something that could uh, be important enough to potentially appear on, on the balance sheet. Um, if we could if we could get there, I think that we, we've done a huge thing in professionalizing sales through the academic programs. And I think that we've, we've got that, that you know, we've, we're there, we've got the programs running now, and we've ticked that box. But this actually would take, I think, the way in which sales is seen to a very different level, if we can, if, if we can get it. Um, so, um, who knows what relationship capital formula is? Yeah? Can anyone work out? Annualized revenue, perhaps, times. Contract type, is it one year, three year contract? Times perception of the customer, of how they see you. Yeah, times. How many contacts do we have? What level of contacts do we have? What frequency with which do we 
meet these contacts. This cannot be greater than one. Yeah, perhaps. I just use it perhaps. And then we could look at discounting that rate over you know, a number of years to actually get a value of an account. So is it possible to get a mathematical formula applied with certain data sets that could actually tell us what the relationship capital is of each account that we have? OK. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think it's got legs or do you think it's another crazy Phil Squire idea that will never see the light of day? What do you think? Is it possible? Oh, I have someone at the back with a hand. I don't see why not. Because don't see why not. Great. I think, I think in, in, in the 80s, people were talking about you can't put um, a value against a value the brand. Them. You're right. And, and they've done that. 92, I think Roundtree's yeah. was, was 5 million at the time and everyone, you know, yeah. Not so, but has any company actually done this? No, no, not at all. No one's done it. And have there been any discussions with accounting firms? No, no, you're asking? too far ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing has happened. <laughs> Absolutely nothing has happened. Uh, but, but, but no one has thought of making it happen. Yeah, no one's thought of making it happen. Uh, but I seriously want to investigate this because I think it's, it's, it would have massive implications for us if we can get it there. So I don't, don't know if we can. Um, and we've got some, some of the, 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 the organisations because back in the 80s, you didn't have the data. Now we have a lot more data and a lot more intelligence that can actually start to give us information. And, um, and hopefully, I know we've got IntraHive here in this room, but we've been talking with IntraHive. We've got some very interesting technology around relationship management <coughs> and Qualtrics, which is around looking at how to do surveys and brand finance, which is around brand valuation. So what I'm hoping we can do for next year's conference is that we would have something that's never been done in sales before, which is to start to get together with the accountants, you know, with some of the financial people and start to see whether or not we can actually put something on the sales agenda, which has never been done, uh, which is to see if we can come up with a legitimate way of capitalising our key account relationships. Imagine that would be quite useful. I don't know, I'm looking at David sitting here. No, no, I felt like <laughs> what, why has it not been done before? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that people who are typically involved in brand valuation don't understand sales. And I don't think when they start to do brand valuation studies, it's focus groups typically with consumers. They haven't done it with key accounts. So in the B2B environment is actually, um, you know, you don't get that sort of consumer marketing kind of mindset. So I know it seems like it, it's so, it, you know, it's such a simple idea, but, you know, we've heard before, quite often they seem simple when the idea is presented. <laughs> you, know? marketing, you had the Chartered Institute of Marketing, so you had a body behind it. Yes, sales, yeah. You, you, it could well really, be. There's never really been a you know, body, well be. but, but there could be. <laughs> they absolutely be. right. Yeah, so... so going into PE sector. Sure. Someone, oh, Carl, yes. They would love this. <laughs> I can't imagine that, that the PE sector hasn't thought about that. 
Oh, well, this is where the need came from. It was the private equity sector because they struggle when they're, when they're buying a business to know where the relationship, where does the value actually sit? So uh, this is where, you know, the idea came from is actually talking to people in that sector who struggle with being able to work out in this black hole, which is the sales area, where's, where sales going to come from? But you're absolutely right. So over a drink, I'll be very happy to discuss this idea further. But next year, hopefully May, June time, um, we will be um, sending out an invitation for you to uh, hopefully join us for a GST event based on relationship capital with ho hopefully some very interesting speakers. Thank you hugely for your participation. I hope you've enjoyed today. It's given you some ideas. Um, so I think we should give each other a round of applause, didn't you? Well done. <laughs>